I mean, I have nothing else like happening in my life that's more interesting than that. So. <laughs> Tushy. <laughs> hey, this episode's a little grim because our content's a little grim, and this is going to talk a lot about body horror and death. <laughs> but not in the grief way like we've talked about before, but the mutilation way. <laughs> yeah, hi. I'm Erin. I'm the master of mediocrity, which also could be, if you shorten it to just MOM, the mom, or I am the multiverse of madness. <laughs> I am Caitlin. I guess if I were to have a cool Girls Talk to- Comics title, I would be the Admiral of ADHD. I love that. <laughs> I love that. Yes. Hell yeah. I mean, like I'm, general I'm level. absolutely the best at having ADHD. So. You're so good. <laughs> so <laughs> fucking good. Anyway, Admiral, you are here today to kind of go along on this journey of giving Jess a break. Wow. I sure am. Yeah. So I'm really glad you're here to give everybody else listening a little background. We worked together yes. at the same IDD facility, intellectual mm-hmm. De- developmental disability facility, and we fucking clicked. Heck yeah, we did. And then as I moved on to another building business, <laughs> um, <laughs> part of the field, you took my Roll. I did. I just like, I took over your caseload. Yeah. And I was just like, hello, I'm the mom of this caseload now. Yes. And we have like really similar senses of humor. So yes. it was like the yeah. smoothest transition probably for people. I think I think it's actually a little jarring when people like when I was introducing myself to the people on our caseload and I was like, Oh hello, I am also Aaron two point Not exactly, but pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> They're just like it's true. What's up with that? <laughs> On top of that, not to make me sound like hella arrogant, I still help you write emails. Oh, a So they still get just my tone. <laughs> oh my God. Well, and it's such a blessing because like having taken over your caseload, the way you write and like, you know, the fact that you have like a master's in social work, mm-hmm. like very clearly your like comprehensive and <laughs> writing abilities are you know, far superior to a lot of people in our industry. No offense to everyone else that I work with, but, but <laughs> you know, you know, I like when I'm updating documents, like he's, you know, we're required to do so on an annual basis. I'm always just like, well, holy shit, I have like nothing to do except just input stuff that's happened over the last year because he really like came in and made the caseload and the documents um top notch. So anyway, you're welcome. But like, uh, no, I mean, for real, for anybody listening, I'm just really good at technical writing. <laughs> Like, when it comes to anything that's narrative and fun, probably not my forte, but, like... See, I'm the exact opposite of that, so I actually, like, I helped start, like, a fiction writing club when I was in, like, college and stuff, and I can do, like, that kind of writing. And it's not that I'm, like, bad at technical writing. Like, I can do it, but that's not how my brain thinks, you know? Like, I'm I'm not very linear in my thought processes, which you'll understand after we, you know, complete this episode. Hell yeah. (laughs) Wine drunk Caitlin notes, let's fucking go. Again, Admiral of ADHD. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I mean, that... That works. Like, yeah, not I sequential thought processes are my my forte. So yeah, and I've mastered the polite conciseness that our field needs. Where <laughs> yes. I'm just like, I'm giving you one sentence, but you're like, wow, this is really commanding. Yeah, and mm-hmm. polite. Like, yeah. I don't want to be mad at you. Yeah. Like, yeah. So I think, like, as I was telling you earlier, like historically, my two modes have either been doormat or just like full of rage. Yeah. And there's not been a whole lot of middle ground there. Like. I'm either just like, mm, can you, will you please? Or I'm just like, fucking do it, you know? <laughs> and I've had a really difficult time in the past being like, 
you know, professionally or even personally just being like, excuse me, I need you to do this thing and I'm being very concise and very consistent about my expectations. That's been the struggle for me in the past, you know, and I'm getting better at it, but it's not been a a thing that comes naturally. So that's interesting because I've been that person who was only in the hardcore mode. And um, (laughs) so I learned how to tone myself down. And then whenever I did try to do the like walking mat, I was like, I hate this. And it really only worked when I was 40 pounds lighter. (laughs) (laughs) Because when you hit somebody with puppy dog's eyes and you're very just tiny and adorable, people are like, yes. And now that I like look tired, like I feel... (laughs) (laughs) everyone's like I'm just it's not becoming for me to be like can you help me please everyone's like I'm a little alarmed yeah it's not very effective when I do it it's just um it's been a tactic that I've reverted to in the past where I'm just like oh my god you're a lot more intimidating than I am in like physical and emotional stature so well you're still really adorable so like you can pull that off really well I think I think the retail experience kind of killed that for me though because like when you're five foot tall and some dude comes in, he's like five seven, five eight, and he's like, "I'm gonna get mad about FIFA." You're like, "Okay, I don't care." You have to, like, I'm by myself and I feel really threatened, and right. so you're gonna get you're gonna get fight, Aaron, who's right right on the cusp of flea, Aaron. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. we're gonna we're gonna push you out that door in the polite way. But I think with you, you're just so charming still that if you pulled <laughs> off the like, oh, but could you please? Like, people would still be like, yeah, oh, okay. Hedwig dropped her scroll. <gasps> Damn it, Hedwig. Sorry. No, it's okay. I'm arranging stuffed animals so that they're watching me as if I have a bigger audience. That's fair. Yeah. They're adorable. But so my interest in comics has been um, historically, I think, kind of damped down just by kind of the overall. I mean, I don't know. I don't want to be insulting to any of your listeners, but I, it is called Girls Talk Comics. So, you know, um, I feel like I should be forthcoming about the fact that the comic industry has been kind of intimidating to me in the past just because it is so male dominated Mm -hmm. um and so I kind of wrote it off as like an interest that I may have you know again as I kind of told you the other day I sort of started looking at it actually after we became friends and you started talking more about it and I was listening to your podcast and I was like I don't know, I kind of feel the same way about it that I feel about video games, where I'm like, why would I let men tell me what I can or cannot be interested in, you know? Like, yeah. I am going to participate in the video game community no matter what, and I feel like comics should be the same. So. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I also, like, I was not really aware until, again, listening to your podcast, which is lovely, that, like, comics come in so many genres which Mm -hmm. sounds so naive but i really just associated comics with like superheroes and still a conversation within the fandom when you say comics are you referring to capes as sometimes superheroes are affectionately dubbed and then even then i've noticed a difference between when people talk about capes Mm -hmm. is it marvel and dc versus indie superheroes so there is there's still a lot of that growth and identity around comics and graphic novels I feel even just within a very active fandom sure yeah no and that makes sense yeah 
it, it was definitely a misconception that I had on my part. Um, mm-hmm. And it wasn't really until you were like, oh, no, girl, like, there's, like, horror and there's, like, you know, comedy. There's smut. <laughs> yeah, exactly, which, yeah. like, both I'm super fans of. So yeah, there you go. Like, <laughs> you know, which yeah. um, is kind of how when you proposed Clean Room, I was like, well, hell, yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's horror and it's got a female writer. Like, I love that. Yes, yes. So I'm going to take a little bit to talk about Gail Simone, who did write Clean Room. Now, we did do an episode on her. We called her the fun cousin, and some other people were like, why not the aunt or the grandma or the mother or whatever, like some more direct and like potentially more affectionate for people's roles. And I'm like, great. Yeah, I picked cousin for a variety of reasons. I'm defending this stance, but I picked cousin because one – I'm not commenting on anybody's fucking age. Two. (laughs) Cousins are always cool. Like, they come into your life and you're like, oh my god, it's my cousin who I never see every once in a while. And then they go off and they're this mythical, mystical being floating about on the family tree, just kind of off having adventures and you hear about them and you're compared to them constantly. No, I'm kidding. Um, Anyway, I picked cousin uh, and aunt because they're always more fun and always have this air of mystery around them. And that that was my way of creating a bit of a connectedness and yet also boundary between me and somebody whose professional world involves being a bit of a celebrity. Two, Gail did reach out to the podcast after we recorded and published and was like, hold up, I do create our own works and non-things. And I'm like, okay, yes, you're right. And so this is a redemption episode for myself. For those mistakes. But also, I think, you know, Gail really loves, and I think a lot of us all really love, when new readers come on and experience works that they really enjoy that re- that create their interest in comics. So I'm not going to go into who Gail Simone is and kind of what she brings to the table as we already did that episode. We're going to talk Clean Room. So Clean Room is a psychological thriller, horror. It's kind of got this, uh, what feels very much like Scientology cult going through it. Ooh, yes. Perfect, yeah. And it has this just underpinning of ominence, um, which does develop more as the first volume goes on. So you do learn a lot in the first volume, and we'll cover that. But you start by following a reporter who attempts to take her life at the beginning of the book. And she's doing so because her husband has also killed himself. Fiance. Oh, fiance also killed himself. I don't know why I corrected you on that. No, you're, (laughs) it's fair. And he killed himself after starting with this cult. As the, in the reporter, since she's an investigative reporter, she's gonna like really try to uncover the truth and reveal the horrors of this collective and, you know, really kind of bring them down because her life is ruined. And she's lo- since she's lost everything, she's like, I'm willing to put it all on the line. So when she goes to the headquarters, um, Astrid, who is in charge of this collective, so she goes to do this confrontation and she gets taken behind the scenes and she gets to go into the clean room, which is this white space devoid of stimulus and she sees astrid do this really complex and invasive like hypnosis thing where this man starts kind of going through older memories and traumas and he reveals some really horrible things that he's supposedly done 
I think he, doesn't he eventually like kill himself in the room? Um, no, or... he goes home and what? He oh, was, that's yeah, right. Like, what he had mm-hmm. gone to her to resolve ends up sort of taking him out instead. Right. Yeah. So. Uh, to correct that, no, he does not hurt himself there, but he does this kind of bearing of his soul and confesses his sins. And then, as again, as he returns home, so those horrors he loosed come out and takes him out. Yeah. Instead, so you're you're immediately like, the fuck is this? <laughs> right. Well, and even before that point, you know, she talks um, to that individual who describes the clean room um Mm -hmm. in kind of uncertain terms like you don't really understand what he's talking about at this point you know he he discusses how he was i think he's a a former addict i don't know and it was never really clear if like astrid sought him out or if he sought help from astrid with his addiction but rather than just curing him of her of his addiction she somehow made it so that drugs no longer had any effect on him whatsoever yeah. Right. And so, and those were the only things that kept these voices at bay. And so he describes it as kind of this like horrifying experience where he is just. He can't escape. He's devoid. I mean, he yeah. just has no sensory input anymore, I think, from, from his addiction, which would be off putting to say the least, you know? Yeah. I personally fall kind of into the camp that humans will seek uh, a change in static, like, state of mind through some stimulus caffeine or some drug alcohol pills you know whatever absolutely Um, it doesn't mean i condone addiction because addiction does have its damages and its impacts but i do think people will look for an alteration of mind so to suddenly have no impact from any of that is like right a basic I feel like a basic need being torn from you, which is crazy, which is not sound fun. Well, and as an addict, I mean, to literally be, you know, physically, psychologically, emotionally addicted to a substance and then for it to just have no, no neural or sensory input, like how, how just bereft you must be, you know, Mm, even if you didn't want that addiction. I wonder if it's like losing a sense. It, like, I mean, it must be, right? Yeah, That's like, the only way I can think to describe that would just like be you a sense. No of, longer have a sense of taste or yeah, hear, but it's like a specific. It would be so hollow. Mm, I mm-hmm. think you would just feel empty, you know? Yeah. So as the story goes on, the agency comes under the microscope and the, uh, some very famous person ends up also taking their own life. And it gets immediately connected to uh, Astrid's agency. Yes. So there's a lot of push and shove coming from that. There's a lot of chaos coming from that. Honest World Foundation. It is called Honest World Foundation. Okay. Okay. So there's obviously this upheaval and very public reckoning that is happening. And what that really, I thought, was a good lens for was seeing how manipulative the people in the company are because they do go kind of threaten and push and like oh 100 um, yeah it just kind of goes to show how very not good and very threatening they really really are but then you when you see more of the monsters because you're the main character we're following she can see these monsters that come out of the shadows and she's being targeted by them because she's aware of them, I believe. Yeah. And they were trying to get her to kill herself and it was successful. She then gets really kind of taken in by Astrid in the Honest World as this prominent figure. But they do reveal at the end, so spoilers, 
that these monsters are neither demons nor angels, but like weird prisoners. They describe so... themselves as inmates. And that mm -hmm. was actually one of the notes that I took is just, it just says demons, angels, nope, inmates. <laughs> <laughs> because I think that leaves a lot of avenues to explore there. Like it leaves mm -hmm. a lot of questions. But it also brings about a lot of like, okay, so they describe how they originated. They, they talk about like crash sites. And, mm -hmm. you know, at one point they're describing how they have this hidden city like in the universe, you know. And so yeah. immediately your brain is like, okay, so, so, so aliens. And then, you know, there's a scene where um, the entity, which is how Astrid Mueller refers to it, you know, inhabits this person. And she she asks what they are you know to, which to me was such a powerful scene because like she has been seeing these entities or whatever since she was a child and she has no name for them like she does not know she can't put a label on it and yeah. i don't I, to me that was just so intriguing because i think as humans we actively seek out a way to kind of you know label things and put them in a square that makes sense to us and so for her to have gone her entire life just referring to them as the, like an the entity like how how terrifying must that be you know mm -hmm. and so at one point i was thinking okay so if not aliens uh, mayhaps demons so she asked him what his name is and he literally says the entity says like there was a whole section in the library of alexandria about that before he burned it down and so to me i was like okay so so that sounds demonic, you know? And sounds then, a little bit immortal and timeless. Right. But yeah. then later they say, no, we're not demons. We're not aliens either, though. We're just inmates. And I'm like, well, what the fuck does that mean? Like, yeah. The implication um, that <laughs> human is a, like, Earth is a prison for these things right. who very much are yeah. fucking our shit up when they can. You're right. like, what? Yeah. Like, what about our existence is a torture to them? Yes. Like, uh, yeah, well, so many questions. And she also um, at one point describes them as a, as parasites. Mm. You know, like she says, there's one that was writing her father. Like as a child, she had this kind of near death. Ex well, not near, kind of. It was a near death experience that she had as a child. This Astrid Mueller, not the main character Chloe, but Astrid, the leader of the Honest World Foundation. It's like you know, I had this this horrifying near death experience, and then as I was lying in a hospital bed, like. I started to see these entities and I saw that they were parasites and one was writing my father, mm -hmm. you know? And so what about that near death experience brought her, you know, brought her to awareness? You know, she was aware of it right beforehand too. There's a, that like flash of a panel where oh, that car, true. cause she almost yeah. gets hit by a truck. Mm -hmm. Cause the guy is just like, fuck it. I'm a, you know, he's like so despondent and angry and just right. detached from humanity that he like pretty much hits a, a child and yeah. goes to hit her again. Right. And like mm -hmm. they beat the shit out of him in the street. But there's a scene right before she gets hit by the truck where it looks like this centipede dragon yeah, worm man, monster thing. Absolutely terrifying. To it look, is. To look at. Yeah. And so she's obviously aware of it like right before. You're definitely right. And she was targeted because the this entity comes when they finally have their confrontation at the end of the volume, says something like, I've been trying to hunt you down. Like, how's you remember when I almost got you? Kind right. of thing. So it's like, yeah, what, what? 
is important about her. Right. Or, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And at the same time, Chloe clearly has some connection mm-hmm. also. Like Because she can see she saw it after her near death yes. experience too. Yeah. And so that leads me to wonder if Chloe was seeing these entities before she mm. attempted to kill herself or if it was only after. Like a near death thing. Right. Or if it was kind of like Astrid, which I'm I'm just this is just purely, you know, what if both of these ladies were always peripherally aware but it wasn't until they had this near-death experience that it really kind of opened their mind to Mm -hmm. you know the beyond or whatever they are yeah you know there's not a lot that i know about i don't i want to say mythology around near-death experiences Mm -hmm. but i've read a lot of like fiction that uses those Mm -hmm. as the the changing point in someone's powers and abilities. V.E. Schwab has this book series, and it's even in a comic now um, called Extraordinary, where the main characters are all people who've had near-death experiences and then woke up with powers. I actually think it's a really good book story or book series. The powers have to do a little bit with how they died and even a little bit of whatever kind of neuroses they have. It's oh. vicious and vengeful. Oh, God. Yeah. I would really not enjoy that. <laughs> so it's not like... No, not the book. I just mean if my powers oh, neuroses. Off of my neuroses. My yeah. God, I can't even imagine. Some of it was also based on like what was their mindset when they died or like oh, their perception okay. of death. Yeah. So... For example, in Extraordinary, the main character, prior to her death, she was always kind of obsessed with how people died or something like that. She was always had this obsession with how lives ended. So after she died and she came back, her power was seeing how people died in the reflections of surfaces. Oh, yikes. Really grim. And she's a high schooler, so it's very, very dark. It's a lot to deal with, yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, take on, like, normal teenage bullshit and then Mm -hmm. add on, like, the death of humanity, and that's Mm -hmm. a lot. So, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Fortunately, it's just, like, individual's death and not, yeah. like, the death of the world. Though I wonder if she held a reflection. Of- <laughs> <laughs> and it's global warming. Let's see. Uh, weird. Uh, so, but for the characters in her prose series, Victor and Eli, Eli, when he died or when he mm-hmm. engaged in this, he had this a lot of this, like, arrogant self-assuredness anyway that he was, like, it wasn't that over-the-top, like, I'm the best, but it was, like, that just sureness where he knew he was better. Confidence, but that kind of dangerous level. Yeah, we all know those guys. Yeah, so when he died and came back, he came back with kind of this fervor, this religious fervor that it was not right. His belief that he was kind of the person to correct this, like, he had this obsession that he's supposed to correct the existence of these like he was the progenitor kind of self-obsession made him immortal and uh forever young so if you like cut him it'll heal easily and so it just is kind of like god-like right you know angel kind of thing pressure on a Oh, and it, it totally feeds into his neuroses, but yeah. he's not the person you follow. You follow Eli, who is his friend. They went to med school together. Oh, okay. And Eli, when he died, he died through electrocution, mm-hmm. intentional. And 
when his experience with death was very like the pain was overwhelming and numbing so when he came back his power had to do with actually dampening or strengthening the sensation of his and other people's nerves so he could make you either numb with pain or like so overwhelmed and it it has this very static electrical charge kind of thing gotcha where this other girl when she died it had to do with this kind of like second chance kind of like pulling herself from the abyss and so her power had to do more with like bringing souls back okay so she could bring kind of bring things back from the dead once okay i think she was able to do it a second time but it felt like really really wrong or something like that okay anyway i thought it was actually a really good series and like a really cool adaptation of kind of the x-men idea like the mutant idea sure yeah Anyway, so that's pretty much the only ever, like, other thought with near-death experiences. But, you know, we've heard a lot about the out-of-body stuff, like, when people are um, in surgery settings or have near-death and they have, like, they can look down and see everything and they see this, like, afterlife kind of image. And so I'm thinking that might be where she's going more so than the X-Men narrative, but... um, No, that would make absolute sense. mm Mm-hmm. So I saw you flipping through your book and you flipped open to to their weapon reveal. (laughs) So Astrid, in her attempt to kind of defeat these evil creatures, creates this weapon, which is pretty much a battleship with just a giant cannon that she's like, I got it pointed at your sky city and I'm going to shoot it down. And I don't know why, but I laughed out loud at that. Like, this metaphysical thing that is experienced at a near death, and then she creates this, like, battleship cannon that she's going to shoot down this actually material sky city or, like, semi-material sky. It's Death Star, but it's just, like, a naval battleship. Yeah. With an actual just big-ass cannon on it. I fucking love it. I love that picture because the shot's just like, look, you're looking down the barrel of the cannon. Right. It's a very barrel-of-the-gun kind of analogy. But the fact that it's on a battleship. On top of that, like, kind of has this, like, semi-carrier look. Yeah, that's – I don't know. I just – I looked at that and I was like, the Navy wouldn't just allow this. And I'm like, oh, (laughs) she has a lot of money. (laughs) Like, she's just hanging out in international (laughs) waters with this. She's like, fuck (laughs) – no government's going to tell me what to do. Well, and that was another thing that I really loved about, um, well, that I love about this, this whole, you know, the whole, the whole concept really is so twisted and dark and body horror is such a big part of, um, of this volume, at least. I loved that there were just these intermittent hilarity, you know, like even from like quite literally the very first scene where there is, like, it's setting the scene for Astrid having this, like, near-death experience, and then it keeps cutting to these little panels where it's just, like, the bear, like, this teddy bear that she's carrying, and it just, like, zooms in on its eyeball, and I don't know, like... <laughs> it's It does have this kind of comedic... I like the bump. Yeah. <laughs> the font for the bump. Right. It adds this, like, unreal intensity to it, because it's... Right like the symbol of innocence and childhood and you're focusing on it and you're flashing to people and you can't see the full frame but then you see the full bear and then zoom up a bear and then it's giant truck worm monster and she's just like oh and then back to the teddy bear and then back to the teddy bear but it was just like it's jarring enough that it like kind of like brings you out of it into like the comedic realm which is so 
unexpected. And then they kind of did that also with Spark, who was like one of my favorite little side characters, who is just like that entity, but like the one who is not the ones in her, the one that's in her house uh-huh, that was yeah. like, I was supposed to kill you and it didn't work. So now I'm like gonna keep you alive, weirdly. He's like, right. mm-hmm. Yeah, and it uses this kind of like adorable language that's just like, you are yeah. anxiety. You are, yeah. I am making you nerves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and when he takes over somebody else's skin, like, I was yes. like, yeah. okay, you gremlin. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> and it's yeah. extremely off putting the way that it happens. Like, yeah. you know, it just shows the disconnect from actual humanity because he thinks yeah. that this entity that is trying to express to Chloe, like, hey, I'm on your side. I'm not like the other entities. Like, <laughs> But I was trying to kill you. <laughs> right, just... let's just overlook that. I'm not trying to do that anymore. But you res- resisted it, so now I'm like, oh, right. kind of your friend. Yeah. Like, I and, like that you don't die. Right, and so, like, by trying to charm her, it's like, oh, my God, you're all freaked out by me. What if I just wear the skin of somebody you're, like, yeah. you know, close to? It's like... so men in black. <laughs> yeah. Like the cockroach yeah. monster where yeah. he's like, I'm fit in this box. but like far less slimy looking right yeah Yeah. i think what i I do like him like his regular design without it is very also feels like sandman with the the helmet kind of thing very gray alien kind of Uh in the fingers oh yeah he has one extra finger Mm -hmm. i did not notice that at first i remember looking at his hand and being like that's not right and then just deleting a (laughs) finger (laughs) god the creepy surgeon one Oh, yes. So the surgeon is a character who comes in later in this volume, and this is after Chloe has, like, you know, accepted that she is part of whatever is going on. You know, she's Mm -hmm. dug into Astrid Mueller and her company. Astrid Mueller has shown her the clean room. She's witnessed this, you know, absolute atrocity that was kind of committed to this person, (laughs) and she's starting to realize that she can see the dead or these entities or however they're connected you or know both. Like, like whatever it is yeah. that she can see you know and then the surgeon is this i guess he is another entity or whatever i think so know? yeah um and he comes in and just sort of gaslights her like he's you haven't been taking your medications. Right. I'm the he's, doctor from the building. Yeah, he's like, hey, man, when you tried to kill yourself, I was your doctor. And, you know, you stopped taking your medications that we put you on when you were hospitalized for, you know, suicide. And so, Yeah, like, and you discharged yourself. And then yeah. she's like, let me go take care of things. And she pulls out the curtain. It's all knives in her bathtub. And yeah. it's just like, oh, fuck. Yeah. And then she's like, fuck you, I'm not falling for your joke. And just stabs him through the And then he's brain. like, oh my gosh, are you okay? Are you ready? And then he's right. like, yeah, yeah. like, he's got to get, <laughs> and then he's got knives coming out of his face, like completely oblivious oh, yeah. to the fact. And it's, that's, I think what was more terrifying to me is that Definitely. it's literally just a skin suit. Like there's yep. no nerves. It's just yeah. this fake thing for them. Right. Well, and that was, I mean, the body horror is big, like I mentioned mm-hmm. before, and there's that whole, you know, there's a lot of body horror scenes that just prove to you that there's really, there, there can't be, you know, nerves yeah. or pain associated with wearing these people because yep. otherwise they would, they would not be commit, committing the self-mutilation that they are. Yeah. So. <laughs> I really liked it though. I really liked it. Yeah. Yeah. And again, this is coming from somebody who does not read a whole lot of comics. I really 
really enjoyed it. Again, I think it was just kind of finding a genre that I was already interested in. Mm -hmm. And also it really, it helps that like John Davis Hunt, I think is the guy who does the art. I love the art in this work. Like I adore it. I really like the things he does with light. Like, I thought that there was a lot of very interesting light and shadow play. Okay. There are a couple of different scenes. Who did the colors? Did he do the colors as well? You know, I don't know. Colorists don't always get put on the front. I don't fucking know why. He was put on the front. Quentin Winter, John Davis Hunt. So maybe both of them did the colors? Quentin Winter and John Davis Hunt? The letterer doesn't always get thrown on the front or the editor, so... Okay. Quentin Winter and John Davis Hunt did wonderful things with the lighting and shadowing in the art, I felt. You know, like, there's a whole scene, like, this in particular, like these, it's, you know, not to over-describe or anything her. Yeah. (laughs) It's really moving scene, but it's where she has, Chloe, the main character, has decided to end her life, and she is suspended in this body of water and the moon is just enormous i mean Mm -hmm. it's just all consuming you know and it's a really moving scene because it's her sitting there reflecting on her life you know and one thing i really liked about this whole work was that chloe is narrating it and i thought that was really interesting and again having not read many comics i don't know how common that is but i really enjoyed getting like a glimpse into her inner thoughts throughout throughout the volume you know what i mean yeah I also love that for you as a reader, Mm -hmm. you get these metaphors and I like I gloss over them Uh because, you know, she's the the scene that you're talking about in particular with the way that the trees are aligned. You see them kind of reaching up to this massive moon. It does have this like rebirth kind of connotation. But Mm -hmm. even then you saying reflecting on our life, it's a moon that reflects in general, just kind of Mm -hmm. the metaphor with all of that. Yeah, like like, the light beams. (laughs) I was like, this is a disassociated state. Comes from a near-death experience, and it's like a rebirth thing. All right. And then I just rolled with it, yes. and you're like, there you oh, go. Who knows? Yeah, you know? like, um, and again, maybe I'm digging a little deeper than that. The looming but... spiritual representation of womanhood in the moon. I don't know. Like, <laughs> right. Only well, Gail knows, and the artists. Well, and it, it, like, it kind of took on another meaning for me when it comes to light. <laughs> that, yeah, but that, I... that there is like another city, and the, or not it city. Evil. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, like looming up in the universe. And yeah. so then I, you know, I actually flipped back to this scene just to see if you could see like this city of evil that was hiding in the, you know. It is the moon. <laughs> the cannon was pointed at the moon. <laughs> I do think it was really well done. Like it was really easy to follow. I did like it as kind of a horror genre. Um, I think fans of Ice Cream Man if they have not already read Clean Room or other Gail Simone works, might like it. Ice Cream Man, I think, notches the body horror up one. It does have this body horror evil narrative that you might see paralleled in Ice Cream Man, which is a more recent comic, but it has that meta narrative that I think a lot of us need and would connect with better than just kind of the anthology series of Ice Cream Man. Older readers who maybe liked, um, is it Chris Burnham, I think? Chris Burnham did this series called Nameless, which has a lot of like cult horror associated with it. And that one Like, this is one that I would probably put at, like, 16 and up, maybe, for reading, 17 and up. Whereas Nameless, I would just be like, that's an adult 
only, but that is an older series I'm thinking of that kind of has that same horror and evil narrative. Anybody who read um, Regression, which was another image book, had to do with past lives and also had this possession horror narrative. And whispers of the dark anyway i wanted to name off some titles that some people if they have read those might want to check out clean room as well and of course it is written by the icon gail simone so if you've read any of gail simone shit you should just read it as well you know it was something that i always wanted to read but i couldn't because i could never find it in stock really yeah they're like, oh, here's a well-known name. Let's make it fucking impossible to get her work mm-hmm. in local comic shops. It was just, it was kind of a headache, but I have tried and persevered <laughs> and I have found local library resources. <laughs> I was going to say, I just went to the, the public library. <laughs> wah, wah. Wah, wah. So yeah, but public library is like, that's not like you don't own it. Oh, I was actually just telling my partner before I came over that I was like, I really want to own this. And he was like, well you know can't you just like buy the digital copy and i was like no i want i want, I want the, this. the book i want like, it i want it in my hand it's very tactile and tangible and i want yeah. it it's like yeah so you know to kind of contradict what i just said about like being hard to find you could probably find it on amazon really easily um in fact one of our listeners thank you steven bought me uh seven secrets Nope, it's seven days, not seven secrets. But he got it off of Amazon and he sent it to me. But, you know, shopping from Amazon means supporting Bezos and not local businesses. Yeah. I, like, I don't know. Yeah, he had a couple of, their, of other suggestions. And I was like, also, I would really like to support Gail Simone and the people whose like, time and efforts went into creating this. And Yeah. You know. At, I, at first, I started reading volume one of Clean Room um, on Hoopla. And then quickly realized that I liked the art enough and I, I I wanted to see it, which I know sounds so... I just think we spend so much time looking at screens that sometimes mm-hmm. I just... I really want to experience something kind of in real life. Yes. Which, you know, so... There is a slower cadence. Right. Well, and it wasn't just... It wasn't mindlessly scrolling. Mm-hmm. It was actually sitting there physically holding this copy and looking at it you know and having to move my head all around to see the whole page and sort of I don't know it it was a very um immersive experience um which I guess when you're reading something that is filled with body horror can be a little uh you know jarring overwhelming yeah yeah. yeah. not even big on body horror I love psychological horror Body horror for me is something that I kind of have to physically pull myself out of, or I guess not physically. <laughs> body horror, I have to physically avoid. <laughs> yes. Um, but I have to, I kind of have to like psychologically separate myself from body horror. Um, you know, and I think I was actually describing to you a few days ago how like when I see it in film, my brain processes it by saying, oh, you know, like, how did they do that? Like, how did they create that effect? Was it, you know, CG? Was it, you know, makeup? How, like, how did they make this look so convincing that I'm sitting here, like, shitting my pants watching this, you uh-huh. know? <laughs> uh-huh. When it's a different medium, like comics, it's it's very disturbing, you know, but it's also palatable because it is, well, I don't know. I'm not really sure why it's more palatable for me. For me, it's more palatable 
because there are fewer senses engaged. Perhaps that's it. We talked a little bit about mm-hmm. how horror movie music, you know, can yes. really drive Absolutely. an experience. But with art, like, I have seen art that has been truly skin-crawlingly terrifying, yeah. right? Gideon Falls has a lot of stuff in it that made my skin crawl. Clean Room had some things in it as well that I was like, that's not... Oh, I audibly gasped. Yeah. Yeah. Yet, I'm not going to like have nightmares of it. Sure. Because it's not engaging uh, my sense of smell, hearing, um, any kind of taste uh, like associated with smells. So it's very distant because it also is framed nicely by Mm -hmm. the rest of the world around it. And because it lacks, for me, I think because it lacks the sound component, it doesn't make the shadows as ominous or as deep because there's the thrumming that happens all around you. It's literally like, this is in front of me. And then you can shut it and it all goes away. (laughs) Which I appreciate because I think I do like horror as an idea. Uh But um, I don't really like gore and I don't like a lot of horror movies because of a lot of the fixation on gore. Being able to get it from comics allows me to experience Mm -hmm. the genre still and experience, I think, what are a lot of the ethics and morals from it without having to, like, fear puking for two hours of a movie, (laughs) you know? It's not the same for me with film or with TV shows, and I'm not really exactly sure why other than that in... When I'm reading prose, I am obviously not creating it all in my own head because this, you know, this author has gone through the trouble of putting these horrifying ideas into my head for me. But good for them. The way that I relate it to my life and the way that I conceptualize and visualize it in my head is uniquely mine. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. when it is film or you know any other medium that shows it to me, which maybe that's why comics are a little bit more. Um, easy for me to wrap my head around, you know? So my partner, though, like, he asked me the other day if I would be so kind as to only watch Brand New Cherry Flavor one when he's asleep. <laughs> and he means asleep asleep. Because, like, the like other night... <laughs> yeah. Well, because the other night, like, our apartment is set up so that sound kind of funnels down the hallway to our bedroom uh-huh. from our living room. Uh-huh. And I thought that I was being quite conscientious of my partner sleeping And then it wasn't until he walks out of the bedroom and I am watching a scene that has made my entire body ball into a little tiny, you know, like as tiny of a little ball as I can make myself without even realizing it. And like the exact sound I'm making is, (laughs) (laughs) and I didn't, I was not aware of any of this because it was just such a visceral experience watching this, this scene. Until he walks out of the bedroom and he looks at me and I'm like, and he's like, I can hear it. Will you just turn it off? (laughs) This reaction of his that made me like aware of the fact that like, oh God, it is just, it's just this, it's the sound, you know, it's the immersive experience that Mm -hmm. makes it so, I don't know. It just takes over your entire body. (laughs) Yeah. Oh Yeah. 
it's actually hilarious when I have moments like those uh-huh. and I'm on my couch. I sometimes <laughs> have to wake up my partner to come walk me to the bed. I'm in my 30s and I'm like, I'm scared of the dark now. And he's like, yeah. why? And I'm like, <laughs> like I watched a movie about demons. He's like, they're not real. And I'm like, according to your beliefs, I'm like, I don't fucking know. Uh I used to love binging Hannibal. Oh, you want yes. to talk about body horror? Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, in I think season one is what I find to be the most terrifying episode, which involves a woman who gets sick. She can't recognize faces, and she also experiences leprosy, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. So she does. There is some disgusting horror of losing a layer oh, of skin. Yeah. But there is something about the crime she commits that sat with me like I could binge every single episode but every time I got to that episode I'd have to stop my binge mm-hmm. wait two days mm-hmm. to get myself in the zone watch it and then wait two more days before I could finish <laughs> the rest of this it just like I just have to sit there and be like we can do this this is 40 minutes or something like let's go let's go and then we watch it and then for two days afterwards like I remember the first time I saw it I would wake up at two in the morning mm-hmm. completely under the impression somebody was under my bed yeah. and I would yeah. I willingly sacrifice my partner I was like, can you look to see <laughs> he's like Aaron we don't have anyone under the bed I'm like I know this but I need you but if you lean down and you come up without a head they all know they don't know for sure and I was like look I know when you look no one's gonna grab you yeah. and kill you but I don't know if I look and no one's gonna grab me and kill me so if you could look and just prove that no one's gonna grab me and kill me I'd appreciate that now my bed's too low for anyone to hide under it so I feel so much safer but like I am waiting forward like for the nightmares where there's somebody like because we have those egress windows now Uh because we live in the basement I'm waiting for the nightmares where I'm like somebody's gonna be in my window when I wake up but um that's also not going to happen. And I know that's not going to happen because everything around my house is mud and no one's going to walk through that just to terrify me. (laughs) So my dad used to say this thing um, when I would be scared of something that I had watched, which again, I think is part of the reason why I can typically pull myself out of the film um, horror is because my dad, he would, you know, apart from being the individual who who told me in the first place, like, instead of focusing on this, you know, the horrifying or gory aspects of it, think about how they did it and think about how cool it is that they're able to show you this thing on their screen without that literally happening to that person, you know? He was also a person who told me, like, think about it logically, Caitlin. Like, why would watching a movie about a horrible demon arising from the earth and attacking a person like why would that make that happen to you i don't know the ring kind of answered that question well and then and then there's like a part in brand new cherry flavor that also kind of talks about that you know and so i'm just like dad and also have you ever seen um oh god it was a stephen king novella and it was absolutely um gerald's game did you ever Um, see oh god just i yeah so without going into too much detail about gerald's game the general premise is that it is a struggling a couple a, a struggling couple you know mm-hmm. they're trying to rekindle their relationship so they go on this retreat to this extremely remote cabin ooh don't like that yeah um mm-hmm. no i don't remember if there was no cell service or if they just if she just couldn't get to herself but well regardless 
they think that they're going to spice up their relationship by having some, like, fun, you know, some, like, I don't know if it was role-playing or whatever. He handcuffs her to a bed, and then he immediately has a heart attack and dies on top of her. And so then it becomes this woman who is handcuffed to a bed, and I mean really handcuffed, with the corpse of her husband on top of her, and no way of getting out. No, thank you. Yeah. No, thank you. So what really, like, I am able to discern you know, film from reality in almost all cases. But there was this scene in which this person called Mr. Moonlight and he comes in the dark when she is still attached to the bed and he is just standing in the corner of her room. And I like that. he's a hallucination, right? Like he doesn't yeah. actually exist, just like a lot of these other entities that she sees or whatever. And then at the end of the movie, she's fine. Like she's not fine. I mean, not fine. She's psychologically and physically yeah. scarred, but she's, Okay, and she's in a courtroom, and Mr. Moonlight's there. And he was actually a person who just came into the cabin and stood in the corner in a shadow and stared at her. And that fucked me up but beyond all belief. Like he didn't... I do not like that. Right. I do not <laughs> like that. So Stephen sorry. King? What <laughs> the fuck? Okay, thank you, Gail Simone, for keeping this just fantastical enough. Right. That like I'm not going like, I don't know, I'm gonna see somebody do this to their face. You know, uh-huh. like yeah. Jesus Christ on a cracker. <laughs> Shit. I couldn't handle that. I would right. You remember I was just talking about what my fear response is? Uh Immediately in the courtroom. I just (laughs) like what? I'm like, I can't prove it. So so I watched this movie when I was living by myself. Oh no. Uh, Yeah, I was living in an apartment by myself. Like and I had done this, you know, because I had I was wanting to move in with my partner, but I'd never lived alone before. And so I was yeah. like, I need a year just where a I just year. live by myself in an apartment with my dog. And then you watched that movie and you invited her, like your partner immediately yeah, into your home. And we're like, like, we're going to live together right now. I think what messes with me, though, when you start talking about the technical things behind yeah. the displays, I do not want to create horror in any way mm-hmm. because like I get, we get exposed to it a lot in our field right? and I just choose to kind of not continue to expose myself to it. Yes. I lie convincingly because I listen to a lot of true crime shit yes. anyway. Uh, <laughs> but there is a God, what I, I'm obsessed with the idea of like what is in people's heads who can create it. You right. know, everybody was all like, up about saw right mm-hmm. and i watch that and i'm just like who, who thinks of this shit who yeah creates this sense of morality yeah. and yeah. um obviously you can claim that some things are based on actual killers in yeah. things like that like some have made very pervasive cultural norms and but even then those are more i think palatable because you can sort of understand the bastardization of the morality that went into their formation with trauma um, either physical or emotional trauma Mm -hmm. which all ends up being physical but that's for a science podcast to tell you about (laughs) but yeah when people are like we're gonna do this really intense serial killer psychology and i'm like Mm, like, what what are you working through buddy Mm -hmm. what are you 
You know, so kind of to um, bring it back to clean room a little bit, yes. and also flip a quote entirely on its head. Ooh. So this was like, I wrote this quote in my, my drunk podcast notes. Yes. Because it really stuck out to me, and it is like perversely related to what we're talking about right now. Oh. So the quote is Astrid Mueller, and she says, so much of our daily life is doing what we don't want to do for others unwilling or unable to do it themselves. So, to me, I'm like, man, these people who are capable of creating these horror universes, they bring it to us again on a silver platter and they're like, consume. You didn't think that you wanted to be terrified out of your wits, but you do. And here it is. And we're doing this, you know, because you are unwilling or unable to do it for yourself. (laughs) How hedonistic of us. How absolutely hedonistic that makes it. Just like, listen here, you fat cow. Like, <laughs> you person languishing in opulence and excessiveness. Here's another dollop of horror whipped cream. Yeah. Shit. I'm going to, I mean, I guess horror is much like sci fi where you're supposed to think about the morality and things. Yeah. They're not. Like, fantasy can sometimes be a reflection on a state, but it's always such a dream genre, Absolutely. you know? Well, and there's, there's always, an, you know, there's this pervading sense of, of hope mm-hmm. in fantasy mm-hmm. um, that exclusively actually does not exist in, well, certainly in horror, mm-hmm. often in sci-fi, you know? It can exist in sci-fi, too, but it, I think yeah. sci-fi adds that, uh, or traditional sci-fi i don't want to get into like what sci-fi has to do but it sci-fi i think talks a little bit more about the tangible things we Mm -hmm. should critique critique like the concept of government economy civil rights societal problems but it is a critique and an exploration whereas horror definitely starts to get into the emotional like the torturous you know darkness of Humans, which is probably what everybody listening already fucking knows. I don't care. <laughs> but, like, it's not an escape. Yeah, yeah. And I think, yeah. It, I think it speaks a lot to sort of the shit that people put themselves through, mm. you know, in horror. And I think they do that in almost a very, like, on-the-nose way in which, you know, like, you're sitting there watching a scene where, like, a, a door creaks open and the, the audience, the viewer is saying, don't fucking go in there. And the main character of this horror movie is like, well, I guess I have to investigate that. Mm-hmm. And you're like, what the fuck, man? Just just don't. Just don't open that door. Yeah. Don't engage in that part of the horror movie, you know? Yeah. And, like, as the viewer, it's so obvious. But I think that's just part of the human experience is that we always, for some reason, like, it's like picking the scab, you know? Like, you just have to... You have to delve. And, and at the on the other side of that, what are all the horrors that we see with the door creak open and we right. just roll over and go back to sleep to That's avoid true. it? That's true, yeah. And, you know, is there a way of using horror to build one's resilience and yes. temperance to mm-hmm. conflict avoidance and things? But that's yeah. the psychologist's... <laughs> <laughs> It's a social worker in me coming out, so, you know, it's good stuff. And Clean Room, I think, is exploring it in comics to kind of wrap Mm -hmm. back around is just a lot easier for me, who is more sensitive to the sound. Now, I did, I have watched horror with all the lights on in the middle of the day. (laughs) 
um, with a good two or three friends in tow <laughs> for the sense of safety. But uh, quite opposite for my frequent all the lights off, make sure my partner is deep asleep, sit and consume look, by myself. <laughs> I'm again a horror newbie, and I need to have somebody there who I can be like, I'm going to make a bad joke about this. But you know, <laughs> comics makes it far more palatable and far more personal for me mm-hmm. since it's not exactly easy to share the experience of reading a comic book right side by side at least yes in a podcast we can totally talk about how you know <laughs> i referred you to clean room and you're like i love comics yeah. so like so way to go gail simone I like, mean, absolutely <laughs> this was kind of i mean i had read a couple i think you you had actually lent um nimona mm-hmm. to me and you know, that was obviously Noelle and I love She-Ra and it all kind of tied in and, you know, yeah. that was a very easy little meat package to present to me and be like, look, you might be interested because it's Noelle Stevenson. Like, you know, just Yeah, you're already on. familiar with their work. Right, yeah. like, get in, get in here, you yeah. know. Um, Welcome to the club. Right. So I sort of, like, tripped and stumbled upon a couple others that friends had, you know, they were like, well, I know you don't necessarily read comics, but I think you would like this. And then it was really just you being like, hey, so you have this opportunity to just ramble on a podcast if you read this. And also it's it's horror. And I was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> well, now <laughs> I have all kinds of stuff. I, you know, I have a surprising amount of like horror shit that's also comedic well and that's like i don't think it is just i think this was just a good introduction to Mm -hmm. sort of you know again as somebody who did not consume a lot of comics to be like hey hello there are also comics to fit all of your interests like Mm -hmm. you want like horror we got it you want some queer shit we got that too you want comedy yep. we have all of that like yeah. so I'm like oh my god that checks and all the sometimes boxes. you can get it all in one package <laughs> it's amazing it sure i fucking love that shit all right well we should probably wrap it up uh so thank you of course for being here it's always a pleasure we're gonna go back to watching probably a show on cold noodles nope no pokemon go we're gonna do pokemon go. we're gonna do pokemon go anyway thank you everybody for joining us we will you'll hear us next time or me i don't know i'm not gonna see you though that'd be weird do not be the person in the corner staring at me don't be mr moonlight <laughs> anyway thank you for listening i'm glad you were here thanks for listening to ramble yeah it's delightful so all right Bye. Bye. Oh, yeah, I should do a spiel. You can find us on Twitter, Apple, Spotify, Facebook, a bunch of other places on the internet. I have a link tree somewhere. Bye. Disregard, because that's not part of this volume, so. (laughs) But it hints that there's something to look forward to. There sure is.